Any questions of that, by the way? Consecration week this year. Um, so, again, just to, to summarize, in the past years we've started at 6 a.m. and went to 9 p.m. and read through the entire Bible. This year we're going to start at 5 p.m., 5 to 9, and read the New Testament. Still an amazing accomplishment, so I'm excited about that. All right, if you have any questions, just let me know. Um, or one of the elders can shoulder tap us. Okay, so last week um, we started a uh, kind of a mini-series within our big series. The big series that we're teaching through is what? The Word and the Spirit. Do we need the Word of God 100% in our lives? Do we need the Spirit of God 100% in our lives? Can we have the Word without the Spirit? Can we have the Spirit without the Word? No, we need both. And so we've been talking about, like, let's not go to one or the other of these extremes. Let's not go to just the Word-only camp and ignore the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Let's not go to the Spirit-only camp and ignore the Word of God in our lives. We need both working perfectly in harmony together in unity. So we've been on this for months now, and it's been exciting. But the last, last week, this week, and next week, we're in kind of a three-part mini-series on the gifts of the Spirit. And today's sermon is kind of like the Empire Strikes Back. Okay, following with me? Have you ever, you've seen those movies? The original Star Wars trilogy. Empire Strikes Back really had no beginning and it really had no end. It was just kind of like continuing the story. That's what today's sermon is like. So you had to hear last week's sermon for this one. And you're going to want to hear next week's sermon after you hear this one. Um, because last week, if you were here... We, we begin to talk about why. We talk about, you know, the Scripture is very clear. We need to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The word earnestly is what? Zealous. Zealously desire spiritual gifts. But the question is why? So we said, why? Why do we need? We, we talk about spiritual gifts all the time, but why do we want them? Why do we need them in our lives? And so we spent all last week talking about that. And um, I'll just summarize a little bit, we gave three right reasons, proper reasons, good reasons to desire the spiritual gifts. And I also gave three wrong motivated reasons to pursue the spiritual gifts. So quickly, I'll just review those. Uh, here's the three right reasons. If you, if you remember them, the first one was to bring glory to God. And if that was the only reason we, we had spiritual gifts in our lives, wouldn't that be enough? To bring glory to God. The second one, though, um, Scripture says for the common good. Why do we want spiritual gifts in our lives? For the common good. To use them for the common good of the church. And the third one, very closely related to that, is to build up the body of Christ. To edify and encourage and lift up the body of Christ. So those are three of the many correct reasons to pursue the spiritual gifts. We also talked about three reasons that are that I would I just say are wrong. Uh, they're they're wrongly motivated. That's probably the best way to say it. And the first one, the wrong reason, is to bring attention to ourselves when we don't want to pursue the gifts so that we can get glory or we can get honor or we can be say, hey man, that that person is like really tracking with the Lord. Look at look at their life. They're great. No, we don't want that. We want to turn attention away from ourselves and turn it to God. So that's the first wrong reason, only to bring glory to ourselves or attention to ourselves. And the second reason 
is we don't want to seek spiritual gifts for the sole purpose of miracle hunting. And we talked about the fact that, that um, it's never right to seek, to seek uh, miracles just for the purpose of miracles. Miracles always have a deeper purpose. And we're going to talk more about that this morning as we, as we get into the list here. But miracles are important, but we don't seek them just for miracles' sake. Okay, and then the third wrong reason, I guess, to say it would be to, uh, to seek to control the Holy Spirit. Can we control the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Holy Spirit is not like this like force that just lives within us. Holy Spirit is God. And as God, we have no ability to control the almighty, powerful creator of the universe. Um, so those are all some of the wrong motivated reasons. Um, so today we're going to talk about <clears throat> what the gifts are. So last week were why. Why do we want the gifts? This week, it's, it's the what. What are the gifts that we want to choose to pursue? And then next week is kind of the... the the return of the Jedi of the series, and that's the how. How, are we, how are, can we pursue the spiritual gifts? How, if we don't have them in our lives, how can we get them? If we have them in, in a low measure, how can we get them in a greater measure? Okay, so that's kind of like the three. That's where we're going. I encourage you to, uh, to track with me today and, and next week. Um, I'll just say this before we get into it, is that spiritual gifts, I think I said this last week, but it's important to hear again that spiritual gifts are, um, are not badges of honor. They're not uh, signs even of spiritual maturity. Uh, spiritual gifts are not earned. And I would go far as to say this, they're not even required in order to be saved. Um, unlike the fruit of the Spirit, which um, we, fruit of the Spirit should, should be in our lives, Spiritual gifts are not required, and we're not required to have them all, okay, as we'll see today. Um, in fact, I would say that um, most of us here have multiple spiritual gifts. Um, some of us may think we don't have any. That's not true. If you believe in Jesus, you have at least one gift. I would go on a ledge to say you have multiple gifts, but you may not have discovered them or the Holy Spirit has may not have activated them yet in your life. And that's okay. Keep seeking Him and He's going to do that in our lives. So today we're going to turn our attention to the actual gifts. Um, there's several lists. You're probably familiar with this. There's several lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. In fact, I think there's... Let's see, I tracked them. One, two, three, four, five... There's five lists, lists at least, that list spiritual gifts. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, which we're going to look at today, um, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. There's actually two places in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that list spiritual gifts. I'm just going to read through the list, okay? And the, I wrote down every single one of them, for some of them are going to repeat, but here are this, the gifts that the New Testament talks about prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, 
prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration, tongues again, speaking, not speaking in tongues, but speaking, uh, serving, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. (sighs) What a list, yeah? Think about yourself and think about those gifts and begin to identify which ones you think you may have in your lives. Which ones have you seen actively? Which ones have you seen other people go, man, I I really see that in your life? Because often a better indicator of what gifts we have are not what we think we have, but what? What other people can see in us. And that has been true of me over the years and probably for you as well. So quite a list, but today we're going to focus only on one of those lists. And we're going to focus on the list that's in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. So if you want to go over there, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7, we're going to look at nine gifts listed here. And the reason I chose these gifts of all the other gifts on the list, two reasons. One is because last week we were in the context of 1 Corinthians 12. And the second reason is because these are probably some of the most, if there's, if there's any controversy at all in spiritual gifts, these would be the ones that there would be controversy over. Some of them, at least. So I kind of wanted to, instead of ignoring them, I just want to jump right in and talk about these nine gifts that we're going to talk about uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. So let me read that. We, we, read, we read some of these verses last week, but it's good to read them again. Actually, you know what? We'll just go crazy. Go back up to verse 4. Um, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces each gift in each person. And I think I mentioned last week, it's cool that we see all three persons of the Trinity represented in distributing gifts. We often call them gifts of the Spirit, which is true, but it's really gifts of God because they're all three involved in this process. Okay, verse 7. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. What do we learn from that verse? Every single one of us has a gift. Okay, none of us can go, I don't, I don't get one, I'm, I'm left out. No, it says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. We all have one and we're to use it for the common good. Okay, now let's get into the list. Verse 8. To one is given a message of wisdom <clears throat> excuse me, through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as He wills. What did we learn from that last verse? Not only do we all have a gift from the Spirit, how do we get them? He gives it to us. Right? We don't pick. We don't get to pick the ones we want. We don't. Um, we are sovereignly given to them by the God Himself. Okay, so it's these nine gifts that we're going to kind of itemize today, 
And uh, we just gonna, I'm just going to give a quick paragraph on each because um, just for sake of time, I want to try to make it through. But also, um, each of these are so important, we could literally probably spend a whole time, I know we could, on each of these, bringing them out. Um, but that's kind of not the purpose of, of this series. Maybe we'll do that again sometime down the road. Okay, um, <clears throat> so these, <clears throat> excuse me for a second. <clears throat> so it's here that, the, that uh, when Paul lists these nine gifts, uh, we see, we've seen that they're given for the common good of the church. And I'll just say this, that there's no indicator anywhere in Scripture that any of these nine or any gifts have what we call ceased. All nine are still available and functioning in the church. None of them are not needed anymore. Um, so, and I would say this, like if we believe that certain gifts have ceased, then we also have to believe that other ministries of the Holy Spirit have ceased as well. Like, for instance, the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't think there's any person, any believer, who would say the fruit of the Spirit have ceased. So I'm... It's confusing to me, like if Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 13.8, so too is the Holy Spirit, so too is the Father. God does not change, Malachi 3.6, God does not change. The commands of Scripture do not change, do they? Um, We are responsible for them all, all the commands of Scripture, even the ones that may make us feel uncomfortable. And I would probably assume, even in a group this size, that some of these gifts that I just read make some of us feel uncomfortable. And, um, but yet, I would say this to you, and maybe not me, but the Lord might say this to you, is we don't have the right to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we're going to believe and which parts of the Bible we're going to ignore, disbelieve, or change. We must believe it all just as it is written. And um, so, with that as my disclaimer, let's get into these nine gifts. And let's get into them, uh, as the book of Revelation says, let's get into them with hearts and ears open to what the Spirit of God might be teaching the church today. You guys with me? Let's go to the first one. Wisdom. Some call it a message of wisdom, or some of your versions may even say word of wisdom. And I'll just say this, with a lot of these gifts, there's multiple ways to interpret the meaning here. And I, and I would say, maybe interpret's the wrong way, but define would even be a better way to say it. What is the gift of wisdom, though? Let me give us a definition. Wisdom is the presence of the mind of the Spirit and enabling us to know the next step forward in what we should say or what we should do. It's pretty good. This kind of wisdom does not come with more education. Uh, it doesn't come with a high IQ. And it doesn't say, well, I've never been to seminary. I can't have wisdom. Well, that's not true because the Holy Spirit doesn't care if you've been to seminary or not. Um, as we have already said, the gift comes through a sovereign gifting of the Spirit. And if the, if, the, if the sovereign Spirit of God wants to gift you with the gift of wisdom, He will. 
And then we have the choice, right? What's the choice? Anytime we receive a gift or anytime we're presented with a gift, what's our choice? Receive it, unwrap it and be stoked or no thanks. I don't want that gift. Um, So we, we do have that choice, I suppose. But if the Spirit gives it to us and it's in our lives, we either, the, the choice really is we're going to use it for the common good of the church or we're going to ignore it. And the body of Christ is going to suffer. So that's kind of really the choice. Um, in some ways, I'm a little surprised that the gift of wisdom is not listed in the fruit of the Spirit list. It kind of sounds more like a fruit of the Spirit than a gift. Like love, joy, peace, patience, wisdom. Like it kind of seems like it fits on that list. Um, but it wasn't. Um, it wasn't listed over there. It's listed here. And um, I think that wisdom is one of those gifts, whether or not we've been sovereignly gifted with it, I think it's one of those things that all believers should be seeking after. So even if, you don't, if you're like, man, I don't, I don't think I have that gift, I think it's a good idea to earnestly desire this. It's true of all this, but maybe especially this one, because if we get wisdom in our lives, so many of the other gifts and fruit and things we do in the Christian life are going to like click into place. Um, let, me get, let me explain it like this. Wisdom is like having 20-20 foresight vision. We all have 20-20 hindsight vision, right? We always, all, we always go like we look back on our life and it's like, oh, if I could go back and I could just do that differently or I, could say, I would say something different or whatever, like we think of a circumstance in our life, We all can do that, but the gift of wisdom is like, what if we could do that except in the future? Go look at the future of our life and say, um, uh, have the mind of the Holy Spirit. We could get things right in advance. That would be amazing. Um, And that's what this gift is. Um, So, not chronologically speaking, but as as far as, as the books of the Bible were written, Anybody know what the first book of the New Testament was that was written? Most people think it's the book of James, uh, that James was written first sometime around AD 40 to 45. So, so if we take the timeline of Jesus' life, Jesus probably was crucified somewhere around AD 30. Okay, so, if, so maybe 10 to 15 years later, the first book of the New Testament was actually written before any of the Gospels, uh, before the book of Acts, because that was actually still being written or still being lived out at that time, the book of James was written. James was Jesus' half-brother. Okay, they had the same, uh, same mom, <laughs> different dad. And, um, but uh, but at James, in his book, uh, and, and so some people think, and, and I agree, that um, the first reference to prayer in the New Testament is a prayer for wisdom. And, and if James was the first book written, I would agree with that, because in James 1.5, it says this, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be what? Given to him or her. Right? Um, later in that letter, James kind of, further defines what wisdom is. And I wanted to read this in uh, James 3.17. He says, uh, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, 
unwavering, and without presence. It really sounds like a fruit of the Spirit to me. Um, But a case could be made that wisdom is the greatest and most important gift of them all. Listed first, um, and like I said before, I think if we truly had the gift of wisdom, a lot of these other ones are just going to click and fall into place. So I think, therefore, we should all pray for the gift of wisdom above all the other gifts. And, and yet, that's not really what Paul says, is it? Because he says love is the best one. Um, so we'll just go with Paul over me. Okay, that's just my opinion. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one that, that we have here is knowledge. And again, message of knowledge or word of knowledge. If in the Greek, it says the logos of knowledge. Okay, so that word, the word word is the word logos, the same one like that refers to in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the logos, so it was referring to Jesus. So it's that very familiar word that we know. But a word of knowledge, what is it? Now, knowledge and wisdom border on each other. For sure, they're, they're associated, they're, they're related. But there is a difference between the two, wisdom and knowledge. Um, people can have extraordinary knowledge, but lack wisdom. Have you found that true? In, maybe in your life or in somebody you know? Um, here's a definition. Wisdom is the way we use or apply knowledge that the Spirit gives us. So you can see they're related, but differently. Knowledge is like, think about it this way. Knowledge is like a storage container in our lives where we store up facts or we store up information that can come to us at any time. Um, It can come to us through diligent study of the Scripture, years of study of the Scripture. Um, We can can gain knowledge. Go to the book of Proverbs and look at how many times the book of Proverbs talks about gaining wisdom and knowledge through many years spent in the presence of God and His Word. But knowledge can also come immediately through the Holy Spirit. If it's a gift of the Spirit, He can bring knowledge into our lives like that. He can give us a timely word um, that, that we can present to somebody. Uh, maybe you're praying for somebody and, and a thought pops in your head about them. That could be a word of knowledge right from the Holy Spirit. What should you do with that? If you're like, if you're like me, if I don't do anything right then, I'll probably forget so oftentimes if that happens to me, I'll just text somebody. Hey man, I was just praying. You popped into my mind. This popped into my mind. Here you go. And I just pass it on. That could be a word of knowledge. Maybe it's just a word of Mark, but it could be a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. And um, so take a chance there maybe and pass that on. Um, so word of knowledge can also refer to supernatural knowledge about somebody in a particular situation. Um, If it's used that way, it's very, very close to the gift of prophecy, which we'll look at in a few minutes. This special word of knowledge is timely, it's relevant, um, it's a message from the Holy Spirit that really assures one that God and not person has spoken. So as you know, like, or as you've heard, the gift of knowledge in particular can have multiple meanings. It can come to us through years 
of diligent study in the Word. It can come to us instantaneous. And I think it, it comes to us both. I think the more we know about God and His Word, aren't, the more the Holy Spirit's just going to click that into place because as we've been saying this whole months as we did this series, is like Spirit is the one who wrote the book, right? So the more we know about the book, the more we know about Him. And so don't, doesn't it make sense that they work together? I, I, do, I think so. And you guys... You guys know, I've probably said that about 30 or 40 times. It's important. Okay, here's the third one. It's faith. Faith. And you're like, wait a minute. Isn't it odd that there would be a spiritual gift called faith when we are told in multiple places that we are justified by faith, that we are saved by grace through faith, um, so wouldn't it be redundant to say that faith should be listed as a gift of the Spirit for people that are already saved by faith? Doesn't it seem like we all have faith? What do you guys think? Should yes. knowledge not, nod your head in agreement? Um, because let me explain it. It's pretty simple, actually. You probably already know the answer, but if you don't, here it is. There's three kinds of faith talked about in the New Testament. Okay, the first one is saving faith. It's that faith we've been talking about, right? It's the faith that, that, that brings us into the kingdom of God. It's the faith that assures us a home in heaven someday. It's that, it's that faith that we have absolutely no part in. God is sovereignly, he, he saves us, right? By faith, we have this faith that's given to us. And so that's the first kind of faith, saving faith. The second faith, I'll call it persistent Faith. It's the kind of faith that, that is part of our lives that leads us to our inheritance and to our obedience in this life. So it's, it's kind of the faith that once we're saved, this second part of faith begins and continues uh, through our entire lives. And every single believer has this second, these first two kinds of faith. Saving faith and persistent faith. This second one is the kind of faith that's talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. The famous chapter, right, of all these men and women who, uh, who have persevered and accomplished great things for God by their faith. Okay, that's persistent or continuous or ongoing faith. And the third kind of faith that the New Testament talks about is the one we have here in 1 Corinthians 12. It's different than the first two. It's not saving faith. It's not persistent faith. And not every believer necessarily has this third kind of faith because it's a gift of the Spirit. Um, and it's a kind of faith that's uh, kind of a special circumstance faith. It's kind of a faith that's given um, in a particular situation. Let me give us some examples real quick of this third kind of faith. Um, we might, maybe we're praying and, and, and you have a specific person or need in mind and you've just, you're really interceding for a person. You're really praying hard for that person. And then you might get just like a peace that might come over you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Like what you're praying for is going is gonna to happen. Have you ever experienced that? Um, that could be the gift of faith. It could be a faith that um, what you're praying for will, will actually happen. Um, here's another example. Um, 
First John 5.15 says this, And we know that He hears whatever we ask, and we know that we have what we have asked of Him. It's talking about faithful prayer. Um, so the gift of faith, uh, as we have it here, this third kind of faith, is best understood as a special kind of faith for a particular occasion. And I, I believe, like many of these gifts, that I don't think the gifts can come and go out of our lives, but I think the gifts can, can be emphasized in some parts of our life and be sort of dormant in other times of our lives. I think sometimes the Spirit supersizes our gifts, and then sometimes we just, maybe we don't walk in them like, like we do all the time. Okay, maybe that's just my opinion, but I kind of I think as, as I put all this together, that's where I'm at on that. Because the fourth gift is a gift of healing. Um, this gift shows that Jesus' ministry and the apostles' ministry did not end when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Um, God intended that healing the sick would continue until Jesus comes again. I think in particularly this healing is actually physical healing more than it is spiritual healing, because we'll get to that in a minute. But I think this one is actually talking mostly about, although it could certainly include other kinds of healing, but I think it's mostly talking about physical healing. And like, who wouldn't want this gift? This is a, um, if we could be used consistently to pray for people to get healed, why wouldn't we want to desire this gift? But just as all the gifts we've been talking about here, um, this gift is totally dependent on God's power, not our power. Nobody can make God do anything, including healing somebody. So, you may... How do you know you may have this gift? Uh, Well, if you've prayed for somebody to be healed and they've got healed, well, maybe you have that gift. If it happens multiple times, well, you almost for sure have that gift. Um, But what if you think you have the gift of healing and you pray for somebody, you lay your hands on them as obedience, as James says, you know, lay hands on somebody so they may be healed. So you're just being obedient to the Word of God. And, and you're praying for somebody, and they don't get healed. What then? Do you have the gift or not? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you do, and, and the Holy Spirit just hasn't manifested it in your life. Um, don't beat yourself up. Um, we just allow the Spirit to work this gift along with tons and tons of faith into our lives, and maybe He's going to use us in that. We don't know. Um, that's kind of what some of these gifts are. We've got to put a question mark at the end. Um, that's okay. We don't, uh, who can understand the mind of God? Well, certainly not me. So um, probably not you either. Okay, so here's the fifth one. The performing of miracles. And again, healing and miracles border on each other. They're related to each other. Certainly, um, strictly speaking, uh, the Holy Spirit gift of miracles is a, a manifestation of powers beyond the ordinary course of natural law. Okay, we see it all through Jesus' life, right? Him doing 
miracles. We know that. We see it through much of the book of Acts, them doing miracles. Um, Did you know this? I'm sure you do, but I'll remind us that Jesus didn't perform miracles because he himself was God. Scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus performed miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yeah, Jesus was God, but Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus also laid aside certain privileges that he had as God when he became a human being and he had to identify with us. Um, So when Jesus went around healing through the power of the Holy Spirit, why is that important? It's so that everybody else who's not God, we could also relate to that in the ability to also perform miracles. You know, Peter and James and all the apostles, Paul, none of them were God, but they had the power of God in them to perform these miracles. Um, So the, the gift of performing miracles, it's a divine enablement to do something that could not be done naturally. Now, it's not super easy to identify the difference between healing and miracles because, in fact, in the Greek New Testament, the two words are used interchangeably. Miracles and healing, the words are used interchangeably. There was a time in Jesus' life where a man came to him uh, to be healed, and Jesus would actually, Jesus actually laid his hands on him, and he didn't get healed right away. Uh, he had to kind of get a second dose of healing from Jesus. And the second time, the man was healed fully. But in that, in that passage, I, I should have wrote the reference down. I, I can't remember where it is. I have to look it up later. I apologize. In that reference, though, these two Greek words, miracles and healing, are both used, and they're used interchangeably in that passage. So they're really closely associated with them. Maybe the, def, maybe the difference could possibly be that uh, healing can take place gradually, whereas miracles often take place instantaneously. M- maybe. Um, it's not always true, but that's a, that's a pretty, good, um, pretty good way to define it. Also, miracles can cover other things besides just healings. Think of some of the other miracles Jesus did. Fed the 5,000, calmed a storm, um, delivered people from demons, um, made demons go into a herd of pigs, um, resurrected from the dead. Um, there's, so there's other miracles, certainly, that happened, uh, that happened, happened, and happened that are not healing. So, again, closely associated, but not um, exactly the same. Mirac- uh, miracles are not magic tricks. Okay? Miracles should never be seen as an end in and of themselves. You should never pray, Holy Spirit, give me the gift of miracles so that I can go out and do amazing things and everybody will look at me. Who did that in the Bible and was very condemned for it? Anybody? Simon the Magician. That's right. I think I actually maybe mentioned him last week. I think it's in Acts chapter 8, somewhere in there. And um, this guy wanted the, to do the gift of miracles because he saw the apostles doing it. And Peter's like, let your gold, he wanted to buy the miracle. Peter's like, let your gold, you know, burn with you. That's not the right word. But he said, let it perish with you. And um, so miracles should never be sought for our own glory. You know, I just can't stress that enough. Uh, Whenever a miracle takes place, there's a greater purpose for the miracle. And 
like causing somebody to come to faith in Jesus and, and, or somebody to turn away from some sinful habit in their life and turn to Jesus, turn back to Him. That's why I say none of the gifts, and I believe none of the gifts have ceased. Some people that would say that some gifts have ceased, like, for instance, the performing of miracles would say that we don't need it anymore because um, you know Jesus is the one who absolutely saves and he's died and resurrected and we have the Bible and all those things are absolutely true, but still, people still need to be saved. And if God wants to use a miraculous uh, event in their life to bring them to himself, why can't he do it now as much as he's ever done it? Um, but again, it's always for a greater purpose, never for just the miracle itself. Number six on the list is the gift of prophecy. And this one uh, is talked about way more in 1 Corinthians 14. In fact, um, this is one that Paul especially wanted the Corinthians at least to have because in, in chapter 14, verse 1, he said, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. Prophecy is... Um, the gift of prophecy, at least, is the ability to unveil God's will for the church at any given moment. It's not an invitation to be another Elijah or you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's not to say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, when prophesying, I think we should avoid using the phrase, the Lord told me. This, it's a da- that's a dangerous phrase to use when you're prophesying. You should instead use something to the effect of, well, I was praying and I, I believe that maybe the Lord has put a thought in my mind. Let me, can I share this thought with you? Something like that. Versus say, the Lord told me this is what's going to happen. Here's the word I'm going to give you. That's dangerous to do that, friends. It's dangerous because of this. New Testament prophecy was never, ever, ever, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. New Testament prophecy was never to be on the same level as Scripture. Never. Um, Speaking this way is not only highly presumptuous on our part, but I think it's actually taking the name of the Lord in vain. The gift of prophecy is for, and again, if you want more, just go read chapter 14. He talks like the whole chapter almost about this. But the gift of prophecy is for the local church. Um, When people come together, primarily when we come together for worship, some people may offer a prophetic word, and that prophetic word will edify, lift up, encourage, build up the body of Christ. We must also, Scripture says, test any prophetic word to make sure it's genuine and it does not contradict Scripture. Because God will never contradict Himself. So if you get something that's clearly against the written Word of God, I would strongly urge you immediately disregard that. Or else you're going to start a cult somewhere. That's how cold gets started, yeah. Um, 
1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, let me read this. It says, don't despise prophecies. So what does that tell us? Between 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, should we desire prophecy in our lives and in the body of our churches? Absolutely. Scripture says it. If we're just going to obey Scripture, we need to. So it says, don't despise prophecy. But listen, it says, but test all things and hold on to what is good. My really good friend, Darren, Dave and Donna's son, Darren, we've been friends for 20 lot of years, and uh, almost 30, yeah, woo. And um, he always says this, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? Meaning, I don't know if he gets it from this verse, but this is exactly what it's talking about. Um, take, in, take it in, hold on to what is good, and get rid of all the garbage stuff. Because to be sure, as we see number seven gift that we're going to look at in just a minute, not only is the Holy Spirit completely active in our lives, who also is fully active in this world and in our lives? The devil and the demons and my own flesh and your own flesh and our own sinful nature is all working against us. So that's why we need number seven. Okay, And I think seven is sort of like, even though it's right in the middle towards the end, it's like if we all had seven, all the other eight of these gifts would be super easy to discern. We don't all, unfortunately, for some reason, have number seven, but it's called distinguishing between spirits. And I know that there's at least one person, I won't mention her by name and embarrass her, although I don't think I could actually embarrass this person, but I know there's at least one person in this church who I I know has this gift and have I've experienced it in my life and been encouraged by her gift. Um, this is an important gift, and it enables a person to recognize the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demonic spirit. Um, it's a reminder that we are all in a war with Satan and the demons, and. The demons hate Jesus. They hate him. There's no middle ground. It's not like they, they, they sometimes get along and sometimes they know. They hate, they demons hate Jesus. And he is their prime enemy. And, and we don't have time to go into why that is. You already probably know that's true. There's tons of scriptures that back that statement up. But you know who also the demons hate? And I hate to say this out loud, but any of us who follow Jesus, any of us who have become saved and are actively pursuing the kingdom of God, those demons hate us too. Why? Because um, we, God for, in His sovereignty uses us in His kingdom. Whether or not we feel worthy of that or not, it, the fact of the matter is it's true. And so the demons will do anything to divert us and deceive us, and oppress us, and tempt us, and accuse us, and try to get us to fall away and abandon our faith. So it's very important for us to know and be reminded that the enemy exists and is very, very, very real. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 lists the what? Armor of God. And we would not Anybody believe that the armor of God has ceased? 
No, we don't believe that. And so if the, if the armor of God has not ceased, why would we be called to clothe ourselves with armor if we're not in a battle? And the battle, Scripture says, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the authorities of the unseen heavenly places. It's not talking, we're not battling angels, holy angels. We're battling the demons. So it's a very real, you know, I hope I'm not trying to scare anybody, okay? But it, we need to be aware um, of that the enemy exists, and that's important. However, I will say this. It's important to know that the enemy is real and exists, but it's far, 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 far more important to know the real thing. Right? To know that the Holy Spirit is, exists and living and active and working in our lives. The first task of distinguishing between spirits, if we have this gift, is to... Uh, have the ability to recognize the Holy Spirit for who He is and how good He is in our lives. Uh, I just really believe that. It's the old illustration you've heard tons of times before of the, of the counterfeiters, right? You have a, a real $20 bill and a counterfeit $20 bill, and what's better, to study the counterfeit or to study the real one? Which one is going to help you in the long run um, it's always study the real. If we get to know the real one so well, then we look at a counterfeit one and we go, that's easy to recognize. Same thing in our faith. If we know the Scriptures forward and backward, we read it and study it and pray through it, and if, we, and if the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and we're getting to know Him and we're just bathed in His presence and we're really getting to know the real thing, when the counterfeit comes into our life, what is it going to be, Dave? Easy, easy to recognize that garbage. We don't want that in our lives. But look, there's many sincere Christians who immediately focus on the demonic when applying this gift. Don't make that mistake. We need to focus first and foremost on the true presence of God. And when we know the real so well, the, the false, the counterfeit, that the devil likes to bring in our lives, we're going to be able to um, recognize that and say, that's, that's trash. I don't want that stuff. Um, so if a person has this particular gift, the ability to discern between spirits, um, the contrast will be obvious. John said in 1 John 4.11, he said, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So again, um, it's an important gift. And I would actually pray that we all get this one. I think this is a super important one for the body of Christ. Um, but I know that we don't all get it. I know Pastor Dave has said many times that he would love to have this gift, but he doesn't think he has it. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah. So you have, but you have people around you when you're counseling that do have it. And so that's, so we see perfectly the body of Christ working together. It's amazing. It's edifying. It's beautiful. All right. Now we come to eight and nine. Um, probably the most controversial of all the spiritual gifts, all, all the ones we I mentioned in the beginning. But look, it doesn't have to be the speaking and interpretation of tongues. Um, this is probably the gift 
that many people think of when they, the first one maybe they think of when they think of a discussion on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts comes up, speaking of tongues comes up, and people start forming their factions over this. I'm going to go over there, I'm going to go over there. It just does not have to be that way. Um, and since this, though, is a kind of a controversial gift, and, it, and I really do think it's, it's in some ways much more complex than some of the other ones we've looked at today, uh, and since we're running short on time, <laughs> we're going to save these last two for next week, all right? <laughs> so you have to come back to the third part of the trilogy, and I'm not, I'm not chickening out. <laughs> yeah. Amen. If I come and there's like five people here next week, though, I'll know. Uh-oh. Start looking for a new job. Okay. Uh, but next week, though, we'll look at these last two. And I, and I just encourage you, all jokes aside, like these are important gifts. Um, and what I want to do is go through a little bit of the history of these gifts, and they're important. So come next week, and we'll, we'll trudge through them together. And then um, even more so, I, I mentioned that the, we're going to also talk about probably even the most important thing of, of this whole series is talk about how we get the gifts. Why is important? What is important? And how is you know probably most important? Because if we can know the why, we can know the what, but if we're not doing it, if we're not living it out, well, the body of Christ is not edi being edified. And that's the whole purpose of spiritual gifts, is for the church to be edified. Uh, you guys with me on that? Okay. Let me, uh, I have a little prayer here that I wrote up, and I don't always do this, but so I'm just going to read this prayer. If you want to listen or pray together with me, I'd encourage you to do it. Um, if you... And, I don't, and I'm not going to force anybody, but look, if you're desiring spiritual gifts in your life, if you want them in your life, um, you know, I often, like, I often like to do this when I'm, like, I'm receiving prayer, specifically from somebody. So if you're comfortable with that, I would encourage you, maybe hold your arms out like you're receiving a gift from God and we'll pray together. So Holy Spirit, thank you for granting gifts to the body of Christ. Help us to truly desire the gifts You freely give. Let us want them with pure motives, seeking only to bring You glory and bring edification to the church. Let us seek them with humility and never reject them, so we never grieve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Our Savior.